0: Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. On today's episode, we're talking brackets with Fox Sports Bracketologist Mike DeCourcy. We dive into UConn's resume and look at what the Huskies need to do from here on out to make the tournament. Mike also hits on some of the latest storylines in bracketology, from analytics to how COVID pauses and injuries are viewed by the committee. And now to my conversation with Mike DeCourcy. So, Mike, I know bracketology, even in a normal year, is always complicated and lots of moving parts. To get started, what's it been like this year in trying to put together a bracket that's just has so many unknowns, so many different moving parts, from pauses and and all of that? What has that been like for you this year?
1: I think at times it made it easier, uh, almost easier, because there would be. There would be so many teams that didn't play, and so there was no real need to move them. Uh, it, that that's particularly true in the 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 mid-major and low-major conferences. That the same team would stay in first place, uh, and mm-hmm. and clearly the the team that you would designate as the automatic bid winner for so long, often because they didn't play, sometimes because they were successful, but often because they didn't play at all. North Carolina A&T has been the the MEAC's number one team for uh, for at least a month, and for several of those weeks didn't play any games. They were 4-0 and in league play for two, three weeks, uh, at, least, uh, at least close to a half dozen editions of my bracket until they finally got on the floor last week and split a pair of games and, and remained in first place in the MIAC. So it's in some ways made it a little easier. And then in, it's also made it much more difficult mm-hmm. because you have teams that you're comparing teams that have played portions of schedules to teams that have played full schedules. UConn, uh, right. St. Bonaventure, played very small portions of their schedule relative to some others. And how do you weigh that? versus a team like an Indiana or a Colorado State that has been on the floor for so much of the time, or against a Colorado State that's played the the unusual schedule that the Mountain West has played, in which they played minimal non-conference competition and then played a sequence of two-game series against the other teams in their league. In some of those instances, uh, it was difficult for, for particular teams. Colorado State in particular was on the road against the the higher level teams in their conference a couple of times and and couldn't get any big wins and then they finally got Boise State in their gym and I think they split and that helped them. So that's it, that's made the challenge uh, made made the challenge of putting the bracket together which is always it, it's always an endeavor uh, even more complicated what
0: what do you think this year the the reliance will be around those analytics in particular We we've seen analytics make more and more uh a, of a statement and impact in the bracket you know whether it's looking at the net looking at ken palm how are you weighing those types of analytics this year
1: well I certainly don't ever ignore them and it it, it I still go back to the standard of uh, that, that I can't even remember who the first place person was. That I, when, I, when I started going to the mock selection process more than a decade ago, uh, one, of the, one of the people who was a part of the committee summarized it in three easy phrases. Who did you play? Where did you play? How did you do? And I think that's really what it comes down to. It, how did you do against the best teams? How did you do against the next best teams? How much of your schedule is against the least best teams? That, those are the three standards for me. And, and I, I believe that's, for a lot of the committee, that's the driving force. Now, there may be people in the committee who think that this computer formula or that one has it all figured out, and, that, and that's the best way to go. And, you know, if you're relying on ten Palm, uh, there, is, there is some merit to that. You know, I think even uh, the, the analytics people, uh, who who do a great job with this stuff? Uh, even they will tell you that if you're going to use the numbers, the standard is probably better to use the what we call the performance-based metrics, like Ken Palm, for seeding. They also sometimes are referred to as predictive metrics
0: mm-hmm.
1: and results-based metrics, such as ESPN strength of record or Kevin Palga's. KPI use those for selection Uh, because you should earn your way into the tournament by what you accomplish Uh, again that who'd you play where'd you play how'd you do what what have you accomplished who have you beaten what good teams what great teams have you beaten Uh, and then you and then you should be seated based on what's the best road we can provide for the teams that have accomplished the most Baylor Gonzaga Michigan how can we make it as easy as possible for them to make the Final Four while still acknowledging that pretty much everybody here can play some? And mm-hmm. so that, so rather than then look at, okay, well, this team has X number of big wins, but, boy, they got blown out in a few games, and so maybe they're not as reliable. So how good are they? And and so then you, you go and you look at a Ken Palm that measures really how consistent you are from possession to possession not game to game, but really each possession matters. And I think that at that point that, you've, you, that you should pay attention to an extent to what's in – which, as I said, I, I, rely, I rely some on Ken Palm. I think he does a great job. There are others out there. If you happen to think there are others that are better or just as good, that's fine too. But I, I don't think that you should weigh heavily those numbers in who you put in the field. Because I mean, there are teams uh, that, like Penn State, that is is a fine team, yeah. and and has scores very highly in in the performance metrics. But at some point, the object of the game is to win the game, and they have not right. done that right. on a consistent enough basis.
0: I want to dive into the the team everyone here is really involved with, and that's UConn, and I know you mentioned them in your first uh, response there about being one of the tougher teams to judge this year. So I wanted to dive into a, a few of those different components that make up UConn's resume this year. And I think the big question mark for a lot of fans is how is the committee going to view the, of game, the period of games where UConn played without James Booknight? Because it's a big chunk of games, but it's probably the, the, by and far their the worst stretch of the season there.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is, well, okay, so he's gone. And and you did not do as well without him. And that matters to an extent. But if if it's going to matter, then you have to make it obvious that you missed him. And so you have to come out and really perform with him. You have to say, see how much we missed him? It really mattered. Look how good we are with him. We're one of the best teams with him. We're not that far off of, you know, uh, we're, we're certainly uh, in the conversation for for uh, the 68 and the 36 at-large bids, if you just base it on the whole of the season. But when we have him, and he's one of the best players in college basketball, look how much better we are. Well, I I, I don't think anybody's going to say, well, they lost at Villanova, so therefore they're not, obviously not better with him. I mean, I, you can't say that. But you, right. you you've only played a couple of games with him back, and you're uh, and and you haven't won them all. So you better go out and show how much he means to you. And so that means the next sequence of games, uh, of which only one is against an NCAA tournament contender, you have to go out and and really perform. And if you don't, then you can't really make that excuse anymore. You can't say, well, we didn't have James, so we weren't very good. Well, now we have James, and we're still not getting it really done. So uh, maybe, you know, well, look at our record. It's still not bad. You know, I mean, if you want that to be a factor, you have to show that it really is for the most part it's really only a tiebreaker but uh I Mm think I think in general it can it can certainly help the the the, uh the Huskies because because he's a terrific player
0: right and I know you mentioned the the stretch of games they have coming up I I know it's been a, a hotly debated topic amongst UConn fans uh you've got a home and away with Georgetown home against Marquette and then that one game against the NCAA uh bubble-type team in Seton Hall uh, at the road there. In terms of that stretch of games, you know, now that you've got Booknight back, is it a thing where, where, from your perspective, as you're looking at other teams, does UConn need to run the table over these next four? Or say they go 3-1 and, and and that loss is Seton Hall. Are they still putting themselves in a position where they could make the tournament? I think they can still make it
1: possibly with, with the loss to Seton Hall. I don't think they can afford another bad loss. And, and it's not like they have mm-hmm. a ton of them. Uh, but they you know they they did pick up the providence one uh when 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 james was out uh they did lose to st johns which is not a bad loss uh but it, it it's it's right. it's not a you know it's not a quad one a quad one loss or anything like that and st johns while it you know popped its head onto the bubble uh uh for a second it it sort of dipped you know dived back down uh with the loss over the weekend so i i, I think that they they can make it with at 3 and 1 especially if they do okay or better in the Big East tournament uh, but i i think it would re, be really harmful to them if they were to lose to say georgetown which has been out which has been going out and 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 breaking some bubbles here and there uh, in the Big East. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been problematic for teams of late.
0: How big could the Big East tournament be for a team like you kind again as they they, they haven't had the chance to, to play as many games as some of these teams uh, in the Big East due to some of the pauses they've had. Again, having Booknight back, how important would it be to to make a, a bit of a run there, to have a couple more games under their belt, and probably a quality win or so there? I mean, it could be huge
1: because it, it could mean not only the difference between getting in and not getting in, but also maybe the difference between playing in a four, first four game uh, and getting a decent seed. Uh, if they if they were able to win it, uh, they're certainly a ca- team capable of winning it. You don't go in and play Villanova into the final minutes and then say, well, they have no chance. I mean, they they certainly can win the the league tournament. And I remember that was James. I think that was James's second game back, yep. uh, and so yeah. he hadn't really had a chance to really get a feel for for being involved with everybody. He'd been out for near you know nearly two months, so I think that. When, when they get to the, the Big East tournament, UConn should walk onto the floor for their first game feeling like they have as good a chance to win the tournament as anyone, and 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 so uh, that you know that should be the standard for them that you know playing deep into that. Into that week uh, should be should be what they expect to do.
0: How do you see the committee viewing some of the pauses that these teams have had to place that they've had in their schedule, and then maybe say coming out of the pause uh, a little rusty or something like that? Is that something you see them considering this year?
1: I'm not sure whether they can afford to take into account. Well, this was their first game back. I don't know what I mean. Because I mean, you're throwing more and more data onto. Mm-hmm. Uh, the committee at that point, and asking them to process even more. And I think that's a lot to ask. Uh, I think every result has to be looked at. Because if you do that, you're looking – if you if you diminish the loss for someone, let's say Louisville, uh, if you diminish the loss for Louisville at, U- at, at North Carolina over the weekend, lost by nearly 40 points, if you say, oh, yeah, but it's their first game back, well, does that mean it doesn't mean as much for Carolina? Or do they get to count still the fact that they beat one of the best teams in their league? Uh, Which 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 is it? It can't be a negative for one, uh, you know, a you know a a neutralizing effect for for Louisville, and then but then and and uh, uh, not a factor at all for for Carolina. It has to. If you're going to say it doesn't matter as much that Louisville lost that game, then you have to say, well, sorry, Carolina, who cares that you won by forty? it's still not that big a deal because they were coming off pause. I just think that – I think if you get into that, you're peeling back way too many many layers, and you're not really judging the season. I understand that everybody has had a difficult time in some way, shape, or form this year. Very few teams have been unscathed through all of this. I just think you have to take the 68 that have had the best seasons – uh, and and seed them from there, and then play the tournament the best you can.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point you bring up there. I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one. I know as of now in your bracket, you've got UConn in the in those uh, playing games as the last four in. you know, Given what you you know with their schedule coming up and, and kind of predicting out, what could you see the ceiling of this team being in terms of seeding in the bracket?
1: Yeah, I mean, if they ran the table and then won the Big East tournament, I suppose they they they'd need some help they'd need some teams uh, of consequence to decline uh, but I think if they did that they they maybe could get up to the seven line look, you don't want be you don't want to mm-hmm. be in an eight nine game and this year more than ever no, no. you don't but right now they're thirty five right. at Ken palm uh, i i I think that you know if they if they were to run the table, they would get that into probably the mid 20s and if you're in the mid 20s you're you know if you street seated straight Ken Palm that's six seven range so I do think that if they were to do that uh, that they could maybe climb to the seven line and if you're in the in the seventh spot I mean you look at the two seats it, uh, teams like and it depends on who follows what bracket and where the committee winds up and of course where how teams perform between now and then But teams like uh, Houston I mean it's good very good team don't get me wrong but okay, you can be a seven. You can play a seven seed in Houston's region, and have to play them in the second round, or you could be in, in an the eight nine game and have to play Gonzaga or Baylor in the second round. Which are you picking? The, I, I think that right, the, right. the 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 line there is much more defined than it ordinarily is. This is a this is there is a steep drop this year. And that's not to say that Gonzaga and Baylor automatically one of the two of them automatically they play each other in the fi- final game and one of them's going to win. That's not to say that, but it's it's a lot like 2015 where you just really didn't want to be in that. You know, you didn't want to be in Kentucky's region as the seven seed. Excuse me, as the eight nine seed mm-hmm. in 2015. They won every game that year until the until they played <laughs> the yeah. Wisconsin in the final four. That uh, you want to you wanted to be somewhere where you didn't have to play them and. You know, the, the idea, well, we're, we're going to have to play them all eventually anyway. Nope, you've got to play six of them, and which six wind up right. in your way <laughs> is totally dependent on the other action in the bracket. So stay away from those teams for as long as you can.
0: Mike, I lied. I've got one more that that I think's a, a fun one to to wrap here. As UConn fans are monitoring the the college basketball landscape in some of those other bubble schools, if they're looking for schools, hey, we we want to see these schools lose, or you know, in order for yes. us to gain some ground, who who should UConn fans be looking at in terms of schools saying, hey, these are these are ones right around our range that we're competing with, some of those final spots for?
1: Well, for now, you 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 certainly look at the other teams on the bubble. Uh, it's not just you and Seton Hall, but you get to play Seton Hall. So certainly you want to take care of them. Uh, otherwise, you might not so much want them to to lose because it's always good for a league, both financially and competitively, to have the most possible teams in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I wouldn't necessarily root for them, root against them, unless I started to feel like uh, like my thing was going to be close, too close to call, so to speak. Uh, that, you know, once you, like, like if you lost in the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament or something, then you start to think about that. But you've got Indiana out there. You've got the Mountain West teams, Colorado State, Utah State, uh, to a lesser extent, Boise State. Uh, uh, you've got teams in the Pac-12 uh, that, that are, you know, sort of on the border like Stanford. Stanford is, is like the classic bubble team right now uh, that's just hanging on. Uh, so those are, those are some of the teams that are, are, are making the most difference relative to the bubble. Uh, say the, the Atlantic 10 teams, you don't want to pick on the poor Bonnies, right? You know, uh, but uh, it, uh, St. Louis and, and St. Bonaventure, one, they're, they're playing a game soon. Uh, whichever one of them loses now becomes a bubble, a, 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 you know, the kind of bubble team that you want to see if you're a UConn fan you want to see them keep losing. Right, uh, right. one of is going to win and look better after that that game, but the other one you want to have keep going south. And that, I think those are the kinds of teams that that UConn and is going to want to root against the, the UConn fans. I know it, it. I'm sure that a lot of UConn fans feel like they're better than the bubble. And honestly, if they'd had a full season and no disruptions, and this was an ordinary year, they probably wouldn't be anywhere near this conversation. I think their team is really good. Uh, but with James being hurt and the disruptions and all that, it just hasn't been normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to you have to consider yourself in that group for now, and then hope that you play out of it
0: right right I think it's going to be uh, an exciting uh, few weeks here uh, as we get ready for selection Sunday and seeing how things are going to turn out for UConn. so Mike I really appreciated I uh, love the bracket updates and uh, UConn fans keep following them along to, to see where we where we go in the bracket so Mike thanks for coming on today
1: you can find me at TSN Mike on Twitter uh, you can find the bracket picks in addition to uh, on my Twitter you also at CBB on Fox you can see me. On Fox, uh, about uh, on Inside the Big East uh, for UConn fans. I've talked about the Huskies from time to time on there. Uh, I'm I'm a regular on that program as well as uh, various pregame and postgame shows uh, on on the on Fox and FS1. So uh, really looking forward to March and and enjoy seeing uh, UConn back in the Big East. It's it's been really fun to watch and I, I, James is. Uh, a fabulous player, one of my favorite players to watch, and uh, I'm really, ex- I was really excited to see him get get back out there last week uh, because he's a delight to watch. And uh, good luck to the Huskies the rest of the way.
0: Great, Mike. Appreciate the time and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod the host, at Jared Kotler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.